0: Hey, what's up Browns fans, welcome in to the OBR Film Breakdown for your Monday, September 19th episode of what is a really disappointing situation uh, given the outcome of, of the football game you consumed on Sunday and um, that was a 31-30 Jets win over the Browns in uh, and, and as wild uh, fashion as we've ever seen. I mean, I'd put, listen, I'm sure there's a lot of you who have been diehard Browns fans who listen to this pod. A lot of you have been a more diehard fan than I have longer than I have. I'm, I'm more than happy to admit that. There's Browns history that I'm not uh, perfect about if you listen to this show, some things before my lifetime or things that were in the early portions of my lifetime. And. I like. I'm. My guess. My point is here. This is. I'm not editing anything. I'm just going to talk. So I'm sorry if that's not what you're looking for in a pod. It's 12:56 a.m. here on Monday morning. I wanted to wait as long as I possibly could to record this show because I wanted to try to remove the anger that came with it from my discussion around it, and I just think that. It kind of paints a clear picture of what happened, and you can kind of be more level-headed. I try to be level-headed. I'm far from perfect, um, but but I try to be level-headed around what happened, assigning blame and all of that. But, I mean, I think most of us would consider the Dwayne Rudd helmet game. Uh, I think that was, I don't know, 2002, 2003. I'm not sure, and I'm not spending my time looking it up. Uh, as one of the most Browns-ish, situations ever the, the the you know in terms of what that whole meaning of that phrase has grown into the the walk off kick six in baltimore on a thursday night footballs up there you know ironically that 2001 week 9 bears game that the browns lost uh, i believe on a hail mary or something of the sort which we're going to talk about here in a minute there have been a lot of these the you know bottlegate and uh, there's been a lot of them over the years, and and you, <laughs> you never know when it's going to happen, but but they find a way to happen uh, to this franchise, and it's it's not one person; it, it's it stretches decades now since '99 of these weird things that happen, and you can even go further back into the '80s, and and and, and obviously hit on Red Right, and you can hit on. The fumble and the drive, and you can hit on a lot of different things. So it's not like before the return there was a bunch of luck happening for this franchise. But this game is up there. It's up there, and I, <laughs> it's hard to crack the group that is air quotes up there, uh, to, in this situation. And and the data is where it gets extremely difficult. The last time, and you know, the last time a, a team was up thirteen points in the final two minutes of a game and lost. Was the game I just referenced that Week Nine, two thousand one game, Browns versus Bears? They had there have been two thousand two hundred and twenty nine straight wins, by a team, inside two minutes, leading by thirteen points or more. So, you know, my parents were at the game. They left early. I mean, they left after the Chubb touchdown. As I, this, a lot of the stadium did leave. They thought it was over, as every normal person would think that that sort of uh, that the, the game was over. So, you know. Uh, th- from there, we're gonna go through everything that happened and I'm gonna talk you through everything that happened. but you know this game, this game is up there, and you have a lot of feelings about it and, and I think there were a lot of people on you know, social media who were you know, pretty pretty upset or, or you know angry about it. And I, I get it. I totally I totally understand. Uh, th- I think there's a lot of blame that's trying to be thrown around. To me, in my perspective, not on obvious things, but people kind of shifting blame around uh, certain players and what I get it in this situation. I'm not going to be mad about anyone's opinion on this because that loss, the way it came to fruition, is as frustrating a loss as I can remember. I mean, I and again, I've seen we've seen some stuff recently, right? We've we've really seen some stuff in the past ten years, and uh, I don't it's hard to put into words uh, so and listen this wasn't isolated to Cleveland i think i saw with with the miami game where they come back to beat baltimore 42-38 and um the arizona game where it was 29-23 final both those teams were down 20 points at halftime and that's the first time two teams have come back down 20 at halftime 20 or more at halftime uh, for a long time it's not this was a weird week of action including Dallas beating Cincinnati with Cooper Rush's starting quarterback like it was a weird week and it's not over yet so there's still more to come here but like you know we're isolated inside of our bubble and and I think all of us understand how how important these early games are for the Browns schedule purposes because some things have shifted in your perception of some of the harder teams toward that middle of the season might be moving a bit but I think we all have an understanding as we look at this that the Browns really needed to be good in their first four games. And there's still time. They're, they can still go three and one, but every single game is vital in the first 11 until they get some better quarterback play. Now, ironically, the quarterback play for the Browns was really good, was really good and good enough to win in week one as well. This one's a tough pill to swallow because of what happened at the end. But, I mean, the Browns were really effective offensively. We can go through some of the data. Uh, They were uh, 8 of 12 on third down. It's fantastic. They had 29 total first downs. Fantastic. 405 yards. Great. 65 plays and a 6.2 yards per play average. Great. 184 rushing yards, including a closing quarter on the ground. If you just look at quarter four data, the Browns ran for 123 yards on 17 attempts, 7.2 rushing yards and two touchdowns in the final quarter alone. They put it together and closed the game out. And I was sitting here, you know, Chubb scores, they kick it off, and I'm thinking about how I'm going to write up about these run profiles and what they do to, to, to mess with teams and things of that nature and create situational advantages, and that ended abruptly. But yeah, I mean, they threw for 221 and an effective at the time before that final drive where Brissette had to scramble, there was 22 of 26 for 229 and a touchdown. I mean, as far as what you're asking Jacoby Brissette to do, it's, it's as good as you could want. They had only five penalties on the day for 38 yards. They had no turnovers at the time. We obviously know they finished with a, you know, they finished with a turnover, but they only punted three times, They scored four touchdowns, kicked a field goal. Everything was really good. Now outside of missing a PAT, it's 30 to 17 and <laughs> it's improbable. I mean, it really is you have to understand 2229 straight times and the Browns don't know that number, but they know, you know, two scores. That's that's really hard and no timeouts. The Jets were out of timeouts. So they're not coming back from that. I mean, how are you going to go down and score twice with no timeouts? You got to kick it back and the onside kick stuff is harder than it's ever been and Listen, it's it's it happened, and you know we like I said we can we're gonna go through it in just a minute and talk about some of the stuff around the defense, the situational stuff that happened, and and everything that led up to the final thirty-one thirty score at the end of the game. bunch of different things and blame being passed around. Like I get it, so we're gonna talk about that, but i I mean, as we open, I don't really know what else to say. I mean, this is as hard a loss i i- i dread it I mean I get so many texts from people after the game and people who call me and i and like I'm with you i'm i i'm l o l. Brown sometimes too, and I've lost as I've done more covering the team, I've lost a lot of the die hard nature of how I care about them because you have to kind of at least in my opinion try to remove yourself from the emotion as best you can I still get emotional because it's hard that part of you never dies if you cared about a team you cover but like I've tried to remove it but I get offended still by how they they finish in the in the the nature of some of the stuff around them and I'm sure you do too and you're upset and I can only imagine some of you are at the game or you spent all day in the muni lot or you spent money on tickets and that is the outcome and you know, I know what Miles Garrett is trying to say about how it's the season opener, and you're already booing us, but man, you can't be mad, miles, at how the Browns fans reacted to that game and how you guys finished and and it's more than just supporting the team you, I mean, you're dumping hours and your your time and your energy and your and your emotions all are, are all tied it means so much to the fan. I think that is the thing. That players will never understand as they as they as they they're young. This is the players in the NFL are so young. There's such few guys in the NFL in their early to mid thirties anymore. The league has just made itself so young and they don't understand how emotionally invested and how much fiscal investment some of these people have into all of it. And and they're upset. I mean, you can't <laughs> You can't have that happen and, and then and then one of your immediate takes is that you're disappointed in the fans. Like I mean he said other things that, that I think were very true about how they need to finish and different things of that nature, but I think that, that comment stood out to a lot of people and deserved to be talked about. But we'll de- we'll deal with more of that in the week ahead and we'll you know, hear some of their quotes and different things. But ma'am, as we open, and we're gonna shift here in just a second, but that is uh, and and again emotions were raw it, it was rough it was it was rough uh, but it, but it, I just got to say again how proud I was offensively of them being able to put up 30 points and Amari Cooper with 9 for 101 and Harrison Bryant had 3 for 45 and Joku 3 for t- 32 Nick Chubb had three catches for 26 Kareem 2 for 16 I thought they they were really good I mean Joku had that one drop but but collectively they were pretty good now the Peoples-Jones not getting a target. Well, he had one target in the end zone, and David Bell had one catch for six yards. I mean, it's probably time to have a conversation about some of the just wild expectations that were coming for David Bell in the offseason. Now, rookie receivers, they develop and they get there and all of that, but, you know, the, the this is a fourth-round rookie who's got one catch, right, through two games uh, for six yards. So that expectation definitely needed to be tempered. I tried to do that as best I could, but... Um, we'll see where his time goes and when he gets better quarterback play, but he's uh, not a factor right now. And Felton is a wind sprint runner from side to side and got a carry and went for negative four yards. And I think he had a catch for three yards. He's a non-factor. He's just out there to run around. But the offense, again, is not the problem. I'm looking at CPOE data, and I'm looking at EPA, which is expected points added and all of that from the offense. The Browns are fine. Their offense is near the top portion of the lead. I mean, they've scored 26 and 30 in two weeks, right? And they've only gotten a couple turnovers. It's not like they've gotten a bunch of turnover help in short fields. They got help inside the red, their own red zone that, that sack strip from Clowney was deep inside their own red. So it's not like they had a short field, they had a full field to go. So the offense is fine. And, and they're, and, and that's the point. That's the part that sucks the most here is the offense played well enough to, beyond well enough to win. And this happened. So, We're going to take a quick break and and get some some words in from from some of our sponsors. When we get back, we'll talk about the defense and everything surrounding that. And then once we get through the defense, we'll shift to at the very end, talking about how all of the situations manifested themselves to lead to that final score. So we will be right back. No House Advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform today. Playing pick them contests versus other people for the shot at winning 250K in cash alone. Download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb your leaderboard for a shot to win big money every single day. You can also test your skills versus the house and 20 times your entry if you hit all your picks. Bet on up to five player props, even those over unders or individual player matchups across every major sports league including the nfl nba mlb pga mma and nascar sign up with this promo code which is very simply for the fans of this podcast obr use that promo code obr at knowhouseadvantage.com or download the app on the app store and get a first deposit match up to 25 dollars. so again promo code obr make sure to check out no house advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined Because it's not just how you play, but also where you play. You won't want to miss out on this. Again, that promo code, OBR, nohouseadvantage.com.
1: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
0: Alrighty, righty, so we talk about the defense now, and it's there's a lot here, man. There's a lot of emotions uh, with this group, and where we expected them to be and where they are is uh, staggering for the situation. So there's some talking points that we should go through. Let's go through the data first. The Jets were, uh, let's see, 402 total net yards on the day, 21st downs, 8 of 15 on third down. That actually was really... Uh, they finished better on third down than they were for a while. It was 8 of 11 for a while. Then when they got the Jets to some third downs late in the game, they got off the, off the field. But as we know, they didn't get it to enough third downs uh, in that minute 55 scenario, except for the final third down that was a touchdown. But anyway, um, uh, six yards per play and 67 plays, 93 rushing yards, seven from Brees Hall, seven carries, 50 yards. Michael Carter, seven carries, 23. Braxton Barrios took a couple sweeps for 22 yards. So those are your rushers, but they threw for 309. Flacco was 26 of 44, 307, four touchdowns, no interceptions, and then they threw a punt fake, a fake punt pass for 17 yards. I'm going to hold off on that. We'll talk about the fake punt and the scenario stuff we do in a minute, but um yeah, that was 17-yard uh, pass from Braidman. man. Um then uh, otherwise they were able to create the one turnover on the strip sack from Clowney, created a bunch of pressures, 16. They got a couple sacks in this game. Again, the Jets had everything so well schemed up that that they were were out. The ball was out so fast. Clowney and Miles both had a sack. Um, Otherwise, time of possession, Cleveland had it for 32 minutes and 27 minutes for the Jets. So the defense stuff sucks, and I don't know what other way to put it. And you know, again, I've talked about it. it's not like they weren't getting pressure. They were getting pressure, not getting home, but the ball was out fast. Flacco, very. The thing you have to understand when you're breaking down some of these things is does the quarterback have to hold on to it longer than he's comfortable with it? And it did not feel like he was comfortable. Uh, sorry, uncomfortable in very many situations. And that was design situations where he had to let things downfield develop or ball out quick because of he understands and recognizes the leverage in cover three, cover six, cover two, cover four, whatever the Browns' coverages they're playing. They've only played 18 snaps of cover one. Now, that's not as low ranking as you would expect in the NFL, but they're not playing much man-to-man. And when they do play man-to-man, it's in very predictable situations. But it's important to understand that Robert Sala and uh, Robert, you know, and and Joe Woods uh, come from the same coaching tree. They know each other well in that regard. And obviously, if you mix in Lafleur, the OC, uh, I think it's Matt Lafleur. Um, if you mix that in, I could be wrong. I get the Lafleur screwed up all the time. Obviously, one's a head coach in Green Bay, the Jets' offensive coordinator. In this scenario, let me see if I can look this up on the fly. I, I should be able to get these names right, but again, I really, uh, I really, really suck with this. So it's Mike, Michael Lafleur is their offensive coordinator. Matt, head coach Green Bay. Um, you know, I can't believe they pay me to talk for a living sometimes. But anyway, I digress. To the point though, they know each other. They know the stuff they like to do. They know they how how they like to operate, and it felt like they schemed up Cleveland really well. They knew what their rules are, how they go about situations to formations, how they go about situations to alignment, how they go about things to motion, portions of the field down in distance. I felt like they were consistently out in front of Cleveland. Now, I'll cover more blitz data and stuff. The Browns blitzed some, but it was from depth and deep and did not have any chance of really wrecking things from Flacco because he had an answer quick. He was processing where it was coming from, had no fear about it because the blitz was coming from five yards on the other line of scrimmage side of the line of scrimmage and then you're dropping back past. That's like 10 to 15 yards of depth that a blitz has to come to get home. So there wasn't much of that. They didn't make... Flacco questioned his first read. It was a pick apart game, and I'm telling you, Flacco threw for 307. He completed 26 of 44. He, If he completes 34 of 44 or something along those lines, he's talking about a 450-yard day. There were several of 14 Garrett Wilson targets. If a couple of those are thrown more accurately, he's looking at 150. There's a throw to Elijah Moore that is another 30 yards they missed out on. You talk about Wilson dropping one of those footballs on a coverage bust over the middle on a third down. That I mean I'm telling you, the Browns did so little to disrupt the passing game. It's astounding. They didn't they did so little to disrupt anything. And the only thing you were banking on was Flacco missing throws, which he did he did miss some, but he didn't miss enough. And like I mean, I'm not here to tell you what a defensive coordinator should do. I'm not here to. I'm not here to necessarily do that. But the free releases that wide receivers constantly get, very little hands on, very little at the line of scrimmage, pressure that got. I mean, the wide receivers continually of other teams and sometimes tight ends uh, that Cleveland faces a lot in, in in recent years is like they are getting free releases comfortable route stems like there's never a threat of being bullied or being physical like there's just not and now listen there was one opportunity in the cover one at the goal line where Garrett Wilson just absolutely abused Martin Emerson on a fade where it's like okay but again they didn't get hands on he didn't try to touch him he, he just tried to mirror him and hopped inside and completely whiffed going outside so I just think that they have some defensive back talent here and they're they're so passive and how they play them. Not just, like, I know a lot of teams play cover three and cover four, but they're passive in their trust uh, in terms of, like, how they 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 want guys to either body up routes or get into people. There's so very little of that. And I'm telling you, I mean, I'm really, like, this game ends 30-17. to The Jets left points on the field. They left, if it ended 30-17, you're going to go back and watch this film, and we're going to do that this week. There are points all over the field that the Jets were leaving there where they're either route combinations or a man beating a, a defensive back and putting him in a blender. And I, listen, Elijah Moore and, and and Garrett Wilson are really good. I think they're really good. And Corey Davis is a great third complement, bigger body type to run some stuff at X. But, I mean, I'm not saying the Jets don't have talent at wide receiver, but they were just allowed to do, go, be wherever they wanted after the snap with very little recourse or or fear or any of that stuff. And And it was exploited. Wilson goes for eight for 102, two touchdowns. Corey Davis has two for 83 for a long of 66 on that bomb that changed the course of everything. Moore only had three for 41, but Tyler Conklin had six for 40, and I thought Moore had more chances, like I mentioned, to get bigger gains. And then Michael Carter had five for 27. So, I mean, there's two busts that come to mind. And again, they're they're crippling crippling times especially in the red zone where you just can never you so there's there's two things okay let me take that back there are three things that that will drive you crazy as a fan the first is when your team cannot get off the field and long down and distances the browns put the jets like i think miles got a sack for a second and 16 first and on first and 10 to put a second 16 they throw a 17 yard completion the next play there was a couple times where the Jets had a man downfield. One of those man downfield calls, a legal man downfield, was on a natural halfback screen behind the line of scrimmage, which I thought was so weird. I don't know about that one. Another one was an RPO that was justified, where they would fall in behind the sticks. They had eight penalties for 57 yards, did the Jets, where they had fallen behind the sticks. It didn't matter. The next throw or the third down throw was plenty To pick up the first down and that is crippling if your team cannot and this was a problem last year they were among the worst in the nfl among the very worst at getting off the field in third and fourth down situations so that's continued terrible today terrible eight of 15 is generous they were terrible in those scenarios so that's another thing the next thing you're talking about is coverage bus right so can't get off the field in third down coverage bus situations They broke two. There's a play there at the goal line uh, in the red zone. We're right before half. The Jets went in, and I think they threw a 10 yard pass to Brees. 11 seconds left on a third down. They throw a very simple three by one. You know, the Browns are dropping eight into coverage inside the 10 yard line. They throw a wheel route to the running back, and there's nobody there. Denzel chases inside, but nobody's covered. So it's one of two people, and the Browns are never going to be outward about it and say, they're not going to go to Tuesday's presser and say, well, that was actually Denzel, screwed that one up. We, we teach it to do. They don't They don't put that stuff in public. You don't put your teaching process in public because then other teams hear it and they can pick it apart more than they already are. So in that scenario, a lot of times what the Browns like to do against three by one, which is three men to the one side of the formation and one to the backside. In this scenario, there were three guys right, one uh, left and one right. Back to that side, they like to match the will backer on the running back. The, they call it poach check. John Stephenson has taught us about this on chalk talk. He's talked to me about it many times. They like to call that lock up the backside receiver and then have the have the will run with the running back wherever he goes. In this scenario. Denzel is sort of, they, but the thing that's tricky is sometimes in those tight goal line situations, they'll play what's called red two. It's a cover two in the red zone. They call it red two. It's got some very specific rules to it, and, and it's really meant to keep the corners down and flat and take away the scenario that we saw. Well, what is it? What gets screwed up? Did they poach it? Did they red two it? 28, JOK never runs, to, he never even hints to run with the running back. Denzel's running upfield vertically with the vertical number one on the right side, and there's no one there. There's no one there. Everyone's covering down inside. It's a bust. We know about the Corey Davis bust. It's terrible. It's And there were several chunk plays. I'd have to look at how many throws, over uh, gains over 30 yards um, w- w- happened. I mean, I should even say 20 yards where there just was nobody inside. Either the safety gets turned or they're playing cover two and no one's dropping underneath it. It's just the 66-yard bust is un- unfathomable in the situation. Eerily reminiscent of the 75-yard a Robbie Anderson touchdown, but it's not, it's not, a, it's just that they, the, the, John Johnson, I'm sorry, I'm just sputtering here, but John Johnson said after the game, you know, we got guys sending information, but nobody's receiving it. I'm telling you the ability to communicate happens on Friday nights at your local high school football game in the secondary and, and, and how, you know, you got Grant Delpit kind of rolling down to what it looks like to play cover three and Denzel's just kind of squatting out there and let's, Corey Davis, run that out and up and run right by. There's nobody there. Flacco talked about how he couldn't believe nobody was there. I don't understand it. I have no clue what on earth is going on in that situation. It's an empty look. And are you in quarters? Are you in cover three? If you're in anything that's quarters or cover three, you are running with that guy somebody is and Denzel's just kind of fluttering in no man's land like it's like if it's is it cover six and you're a down corner and you're supposed to have quarter quarter half I have no idea man there are people more well versed at this than me but that is what you got Grant kind of squatting middle of the field I don't know what they're doing what are you doing and I cannot fathom how you can accept this as a fan base or an ownership group or a GM to see this shit happening all the time, and it's, listen, Woods has done some nice things, he's been okay in certain scenarios, people like to point to the back half of last season, and they had a good game against Green Bay, and they had a good game against a Raiders team on a weird COVID-pushed Monday night game, but they didn't play many good offenses, they got the shit beat out of them, sorry I'm cussing, but whatever, they got the crap beat out of them by New England, in midseason, and then they got better as the year went on. But they played Pittsburgh twice, and they played the Bengals when the Bengals didn't have anybody. And they played—I mean, they just didn't face some gauntlet of tougher. And I, I get it; you got to beat the bad teams. You gotta, they were better. I'm giving them credit; they were better. But we all know about the bust stuff that happened in the Arizona game last year, and the Car- and the Chargers game. And I, I just—it's a—it's a trademark, and people blame Woods, and they justifiably so. I think you know a lot of things can be on players. And, 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 you know, a player, a coach could sit there and say something to a player again and again and again. Here's the rules, how we handle Pond's coverage, two by two, he gets to 10 yards, we're passing it off, here's what our rules are in cover three, our poach check, and our uh, whatever, whatever, to three by one, and here's how we're going to do this and that. You could say it and say it and say it and a player could still screw up. I get it. I totally get it. It doesn't miss me. I'm really patient with coordinators. But this has gone too far. And eventually, if your guys keep screwing up, who we all seem to view, Newsom, Ward, uh, john johnson has had success in other places grant delpit a highly thought of prospect picked in the second round like if you can't get these guys to do things successfully greg newsome first round picked so it ultimately comes back to you and that's just how it goes whether you think that's fair as a fan or an analyst or whatever that's your prerogative but that's how it goes somebody has to answer for this and Jeff Howard who is the DB's coach and pass game air quotes pass game coordinator here has to answer for this. What like what is going on? You guys have one job, which is ultimately the biggest job is to keep things in front of you. You don't pressure much. You don't run cover zero, cover one much. You don't do that. So can you keep things in front of you? In situations that dictate keeping things in front of you, six minutes left against the Panthers, up two scores, a minute 55 left against the Jets, up two scores, and you can't just communicate the simple coverage to be where you're supposed to be? Like... I, I am flabbergasted by it. I do I do not understand how this can happen at the NFL level as often as it happens. Now, there are busts all the time. Confusion around the NFL. It is not isolated to Cleveland. I get that. But what I'm saying is what we are seeing and the frequency at which we are seeing it and the fourth quarter points that we have seen over to it, it is un unfathomable the 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 Browns called a timeout right before the touchdown catch from Brees Hall with 11 seconds left in the second they communicate they're on the sidelines talking communicating and that happens they give up a 10-yard touchdown in that scenario I do (laughs) I don't have the words to understand it guys I really don't and and it's such a disappointment and I'm not calling for I mean I think that if they were to fire Woods tomorrow, it would be justifiable, in my opinion. Now, I do not think they do that. It is higher of a higher likelihood that they would fire Jeff Howard than Joe Woods. It is hard in season. It is hard in season to change a coordinator and change everything unless your season is over. And the season is not over. It is by no means over right now. So you have to, it's just, listen. It's hard. It's really hard to do it. There's so many things that you'd have to change. Who's calling the plays? Who's doing this? Who's got this responsibility? Who's our scout? Who's doing scout team? Who's doing this? Who's scouting the opponent? How are they scouting them? Who's putting practice scripts together? There's so much there we don't know. You don't know. I, I mean, you don't know. And there are things there I don't know. There are parts of the moving process that they do that we don't know. So there's there's just there's just an insane amount of things that make that challenging. Now, a position coach being let go because – it's not getting done, that to me, I could see that. I could really see that. It's not It's not out of the realm of possibility or changing who has past game coordination defensively responsibilities because there is a failure happening there and an embarrassing failure that is costing things. Today has a potential to be a franchise-altering loss where it just changes the way people feel about everything. And I'm talking everything about the coaching staff as a whole, where this group is going, the vibes you need. It has that potential. I'm not saying it's going to, but we could come back and point at this at some point. So rough, really rough defensively. And I think any drastic decision that could be made potentially, and you never rule that out with Jimmy Haslam is, is I am not, I would not be stunned by it, but I do think especially into a short week where Pittsburgh comes to Cleveland, it's really hard. It's really hard to change all of that right now and they could get better as the year wears on. That's fine, but to be it would be totally understandable if this was year one for his system. Joe Woods is a new DC. he's got a bunch of new players, but this is his third total year. This is Grant Delpit's second year playing in it this in his third year in the franchise. John Johnson's second year, Denzel's third year, Greg Newsom's second year. You got guys who have been around it at every level of the defense. And you're letting this this happen? Are you? Is it? Is what you're trying to do too hard? Is what you're trying to do overcomplicated? Because your guys don't get it. Who's calling the plays? Is it? Is it? Are you rotating line, linebackers between Phillips and Walker, and they're not getting it communicated? Do you need to get the green dot back to John Johnson so he can communicate what needs to be communicated more clearly? There are so many questions, and we don't have the answers, guys. We don't. But what we see is is to just brush it off and be cavalier about it. Ah, they'll figure it out. That's not acceptable to me. There this this group is the reason they lost. Everything we're about to discuss after this is the is is all pointing back to the defensive issues and they were and it's not isolated to the bus stuff. They were picked apart all game. Schemed up, picked apart all game. And, and, and this is a Jets team that's not that good. They just were picked apart, man. So, I, I, I there, your emotions about the defense, how you feel about them, what you want done, who you want removed. I do not blame you for feeling that way, and I do not blame the Browns for making some sort of decision there. I just think it's harder than you understand to change a full-on coordinator in a season you're still competing and trying to get to places. It's different week 12, 13, 14, 15 when the season's over, you're out of the playoffs, all of that, different. But the the position coach would not surprise me at all because this is it is that bad right now. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back and talk through situations at the end of the game. All right, so there are some situations that require, I think, some specific analysis. Uh, things that happened in this game that we should broach individually, and let's let's do that. So, okay, the first thing is the fake punt that happened in the first quarter that led to a second quarter uh, touchdown to Garrett Wilson. So it is, uh, and I, I've done <laughs> I've done a little bit of research on this, so I want to make sure I go through and kind of. Label things as perfectly as I can label things for you. It is a fourth down uh, scenario for the Jets. I don't think it's their second possession. I could be wrong here. I think it's their third possession. No, it is the second possession. So they got it to fourth and two at their own 46-yard line. And uh, Braden Mann is their punter. And he completes a pass uh, right side to Jeff Smith, who's a wide receiver on the roster, against A.J. Green. So... You are frustrated by this. Clearly, you should be watching your team get off the field on third down and have a chance to get the football back up seven to nothing. At that point, coming off of a fourteen-play, ninety-yard touchdown drive to open the game uh, for that side. So here's where here's why you shouldn't be. It was a great play by the Jets, and there was nothing Cleveland really could have done to overcome it. I mean. They could have some some miraculous thing, but let me let me explain why. So in this scenario, there's always two gunners outside on punt team. They're taking off. Their sole objective on those situations is to is to take off and beeline and take whatever route is necessary to get to the punt returner and make him uh, either uncomfortable or end up being the guy that makes the tackle for the minimal amount of return yards. So. In these scenarios, sometimes teams will take two guys, punt return, in this case Cleveland, will take two guys and put them out wide. And they'll and they'll both be in charge of boxing that guy, not allowing anybody to get in the returner's face. Sometimes they'll take one. The Browns have done some things where they've had two out and brought one, creeped him back in late. They did it both weeks, this game and week one. The Jets just had this trick up their sleeve, and I'll explain to you why. In week one, the Jets put Smith out on punt team one time uh they had, they had early in the game it was the first punt they put him out there at right side just where he was on Sunday and I think they had installed a fake punt which is pretty simple you're gonna you're gonna you tell Smith he releases inside like he's taking an inside course to uh the Uh, to get to the the punt return guy. And what happens is your your job as a guy blocking the gunner is to chase him. You're just chasing, staying in position, not blocking him in the back. Got to be in the right position to wall him off, shield him, block him so he doesn't get to your punt return guy. That's all you're thinking about. And you're you're definitely not thinking about a guy like Smith releasing inside and then back outside on what's called kind of like a pseudo-pivot route and catching a football, a a well-timed throw. So what they did is they just said, I think they put it in during camp or whatever, and they tried to do it the first week, but Baltimore, by circumstance, sometimes I watched it, sometimes Baltimore only sent one guy out. In this scenario, they sent two, and they didn't do it. So Smith runs down on the first punt team, but he doesn't come back on the field at all. He's not back on any punt team again because this is clearly something they have up their sleeve. They were going to use it week one, but they didn't. If fate would have had them using it week one, they wouldn't have used it week two because Cleveland would have been prepared for it. But what they said is, hey, Punter catch it, take two steps, and throw a well-timed ball out the sideline because we think we can burn this situation. And they did. And kudos, Braden Man. I even looked like I researched. Obviously, went back and watched kick game from from the first week to to see what what was up here. But uh, I I went back and like does does Braden Man have quarterback experience from high school? I I can't find anything. Can't find a single thing. I mean, in fact. Uh, kind of getting back to circumvent where we are here. They wanted to cut this guy. He had a terrible week one. Like, he had a terrible week one. They, they've they been preaching Jets fans have been after him and Zerline. You know, Greg Zerline makes a 57-yard, makes all his PATs and makes a 57-yarder. Zerline, who had a nice run with the Rams a while back, but was with the Cowboys most recent, 5 of 14 on his last fi- uh, last 14 kicks from 50-plus over the last two years before this year. 5 of 14. He was 1 of 2 last week from 40 yards. And then he missed an extra point last week. Again, another guy. People were calling for him. they did, They they looking at replacements. Not just absolute dead nuts today. Man, a braid man. A, f- a fantastic throw on that ball. I mean, that, that was a ballsy. I mean, they've worked it and repped it and done it. But, like, that throw is not easy. He's got to put it out there with accuracy. I mean, it's not like Green wasn't right there at catch point. But, like, he wasn't far away. So to complete that thing on a fourth and two, like... That takes a lot of guts to throw, and the situation had to arrive perfectly in the scenario. So, I'm not blaming the Browns were unprepared. That's just a really tough thing to defend. It's a tough thing to defend, and it's a good throw by the punter. And, you know, kudos to them. It's a tough thing. You're not thinking that. You're not thinking a guy's going to run an inside release like he's running downfield as a gunner and then back outside. He's going to have a well timed throw. Like, man, kudos, man. But, like, Braden Mann, two punts inside the 20 pinned, and then also. The onside kick, which is the next thing we have to talk about. We're going out of order here, but we're talking about Braden Mann and this guy playing out of his mind. That onside kick was unbelievable. He sells like he's going to the right side with it, crosses it over, comes back left, and that ball crosses the 10-yard threshold at the absolute perfect spot. And, and there's a little bit of slight hesitancy to see if it gets to 10 yards from Amari Cooper, and that's all it takes. And it's perfectly across the 10 yards. I'm telling you, you couldn't have taken your hand and rolled it any better to 10. I mean, it was it was perfect. And so few, because of the new rules, so few onside recoveries happen because of the split sides deal. I just, it was a one in a hundred, a one in a hundred thousand. I mean, it's, I don't know the date on this. There's not been a ton of recoveries, but the way I'm talking the kick itself and how he put it, where he put it was unbelievably pu- perfect. And it sort of sums up everything in the last few minutes. But, like, man's punt fake throw and the and and, and Smith being on the field for one of those, I'll check it later in the week when I do data to see if Smith was just on the punt team for the gunner roll for one snap like he was in week one. And you can't prep for that. You're looking at it as a defense. You're like, oh, maybe he tweaked something um, after the first punt snap. Or maybe he had... Uh, something the coach got mad at him and took him out. No, they just had a fake prepped. They had it perfectly prepped. They didn't run it week one because the the Ravens had two out. So what you do is you send them out, you call the fake. If it's off, you make a call and you just punt it. You just make a call to everybody else and you punt it. You got a dead call or something. It could be a Louie Louie call. It could be anything and they just punt it. But this situation, it worked out perfectly for the jets and they threw it perfectly. And the route was perfect. And then the kick, the, the onside kick was absolutely utterly perfect. And the bounce off of the players, it went to their guy. <laughs> it's just how it goes, man. It's how it goes. And it's an unbelievable series of events. But the other thing I wanted to hit on was, um, the, you know, the, 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 the Nick, Nick Chubb's catching a lot of flack for, for not going down. And like, you know, I, I, <laughs> I get it, I, I get it somewhat because then you say, you know, uh, uh, you know the game's over, right? the game's over and let, let's go through that. So there's a couple plays that lead up to this scenario. Um, they run a screen pass to uh, they got in the ball back. the Jets punted, which I knew they were gonna punt. I'm sorry, I'm trying to go through this and looking at the play by play to give you the specific number of where they were and all that. So the Jets punt it back to Cleveland. They get it right. They go. They go. Uh, I think this drive starts because the Jets had a an unsportsmanlike conduct uh, outcome, I believe, that pushed it unnecessary roughness that pushed it from the Browns had caught it at like their own forty five. It pushed it up to the Jets forty two. So the Browns run one play, no gain. Jets call a timeout. Run a second play, goes for three yards. Call a timeout. Jacoby Brissett throws a screen. So this is at two twenty two on the clock. Throws a screen. This goes for eleven yards. Now. People started to get mad at Kareem for not stepping out. But if you go back and watch it, sorry, staying in bounds, if you go back and watch it, he catches it, a delayed catch, because Jacoby has to kind of wiggle his way in the backfield to get the throw off. He can't just go down in bounds and also pick up the first down. third and seven. He has to get the first down first and foremost. There's Quentin Williams diving at his feet toward the sticks. He gets past Quentin Williams, and he can't just fall like. It's momentum, guys. It doesn't work the way you want it to work. He can't just fall and stay in bounds. He gets pushed out by a DB. As you can see, he's trying to stay in bounds. Jordan Whitehead knocks him out. Nothing you can do. First down, though, that's what you want. So first down now. They run four yards, right? 2.15 mark on the clock. It's actually the timeout taken at 2.09. The Jets take their final timeout, right? Kareem had run for four yards. Next play. Second and six. Need another first down. You know the t- two-minute warning is lingering. You need another first down. Got to get it. They run left side. They run what's called a Y counter, right? What I mean is you got the tight end right side and the backside guard pulling around to the left side. Now they're on the left hash, so it's into the boundary. It's tight space, but they have figured out this is a way they can get into good numbers and get yards. That's all you want. You're up seven points. At this at this juncture. It's it's a 24-17 game. You're up seven points. We just need to get yards. Get a first down, then we can talk about where we go from there. We know the two minute warnings linger, but the jets are out of timeouts. You run it left, even if you go out of bounds, not a big deal. It's, it's really not. It's not a big deal. So they run it left, pick up a first down. But again, the thing to know, he runs for 12 yards, but as he crosses the threshold to get past, you have to understand he gets past, but again, like he gets at the sticks and he's got to get the first down in his mind because you got to get the yards that are available, get the first down. Somebody is again at his feet as he's crossing the first. So he can't just fall backwards cuz when you're running toward the sideline in a concept, you can you can say why didn't they run it right? Like stop. They could they, they're running it the way they needed to to get the down blocks necessary and create numbers advantages and they liked running left more in this game. So They get the first down, but Kareem is not able. There's no point where he just said, ah, I'll go out of bounds on my own. The situation, the the momentum of people coming at him, how he has to step aside and get the first down, he cannot. He wants to. You can see him again trying to kind of lean and stay in, and you'll even see Wyatt Teller come in trying to tell him to wind it because if you go backward and out of bounds, it keeps the clock rolling instead of forward, but he can't, so it stops again. It's now 2.02 on the clock at the um at the final juncture, right? Before the before the situation stops, I think it's a 202, so you're going to get the 2-minute warning. It doesn't matter. You're going to get the 2-minute warning no matter what. It's first down. So, what you are all complaining about with Nick and why you want him to go down. A reminder, people are referencing Nick did this before. Well, Nick did it in a 10-7 game in 2020 against the Texans. It was 10-7. It wasn't like the scenario wasn't that they they were already up a score and if you score one more time they were they were up 107 at that point. It was a clear runaway situation and he could just fall and there was no nothing he could stop and nothing stopped him from from being carried out of bounds or anything. So if in this situation where Nick runs left, right instead of you know you, again, I need to reiterate right that, that, that at this point going up two touchdowns is such an insurmountable lead in everybody's mind and it is 2229 straight at that moment, it's different. He's not running away in the open field with nobody around him the way he was in that Texans game. Like, this was to put them up two touchdowns. Not not a touchdown field goal, two touchdowns. It matters, okay, especially given where he was. So people want to kind of overlook this when you're talking about it, but he runs left, so they run duo. It's a downhill run, but he bounces it. And when he bounces it, he gets off the corner, right, and he's and again in the in the reminder in that Texans game there was no 2 minute warning scenario they're inside the 2 minute so if he stops if he if he does what everybody wants him to do and stops he's not getting the first down okay he's not getting the first down which is what he needed and it was it was first and 10 from the 12 yard line as a reminder uh, they were at the Jets' 12, so he'd have to stop inside the two. But if you watch it, he bounces it and turns it upfield. If he stops two yards short and slides down, because if he if he dives forward with the football, he could still get into the end zone. The DB's kind of coming at him in an angle, and if you remember, he cut back and scored. If he like, if he if he just he, the only thing he could have done was maybe curl and fall a little forward, but that wasn't going to get you a first down. You're still going to get hit. It wasn't going to be a first down. Then it's the, then it's a two-minute warning. Or if he goes out of bounds, two-minute warning. It doesn't matter. And then people are like, well, he got the first... No, he wasn't at the first down at the moment of juncture in which he could have stopped. Like, that... that it would have taken a ridiculously heroic effort, and he could have fumbled because of something weird happening. So, again, granted, I'm a saying, you guys in this situation wanted him to go down. If he goes down, he's like, it's a second and two, and it's a two-minute warning. So then... You take two knees. That's 80 seconds off, right? You take two knees, 80 seconds for 40 seconds of play clock both sides. You still are leaving time on the clock for the Jets to then you kick a field goal because what are you going to do there? You're probably going to kick a field goal with like, I'm not great at, you know, math here. You're you're over 30 seconds of clock time left. You still kick a field goal. That's risky. Two knees, never... I just think that we're being crazy about this. For him to have gotten that first down, you're not remembering what was in front of him or what he had to do. He would have just had to slide down and stop to stay in bounds given his momentum, which he could have, but he would not have had a first down. And if he barreled into the guy to try to stop, he could have... Anything could have happened. He could have fumbled. He barrels into him. You don't know. Maybe the barreling into the DB crashing into his realm means he falls into the end zone because he, he's just his momentum forward. I just think that it's so easy to look at that. And yeah, listen, he probably could have gone down and second and two, knee it twice. It's fourth and four with 30, 40 seconds left and you kick a field goal and it, nothing matters. It's over. But, you know, if the Jets get it back, it's 35 seconds. They throw a touchdown. There's 20 seconds. You never know. You never know. Cade York pushes the extra point right and here we are. I think that that scenario where you're blaming Nick is not understanding where he was at the moment at which he would have had to fall down, and it would have been second down unless he made some super strange movement to fall. After he cuts back, he would have had to fall at the one-yard, like kind of perfectly fall at the one-yard line, and at that point, they could have run out the clock, right? They could, they could, but it, would have, it was... The margin for error there is so weird for him to have cut back and then fall at the one-yard line. Again, you're asking, I mean, you're asking Kevin and Nick to understand that, hey man, if you go up two scores, there's a one in 2,230 chance um, that, that this could be the the time where a team, you know, gets the football back, you bust a coverage for 66-yard touchdown, they recover the onside, they get it to third and 10 inside your 20-yard line with 30 seconds left, and, you know, and then they throw a touchdown pass. Like, I, I don't know. I just feel like placing blame there. Now you can get mad at special teams missed extra point, three kickoffs allowed to come out past the thirty yard line. That's a problem. The punt return fake, the punt fake. I'm not. I have explained it to you at this point. I hope you're not. I hope you understand that. But I mean, special teams wasn't good. But the defense is the issue, and blaming it on Nick and and Kevin there is bananas to me. I don't know, man. We're gonna close. I I I, I don't. I don't know where they go from here. It's going to be an interesting set of decisions coming forward. Maybe the short week is a benefit. Maybe the short week—it's a Thursday night game, and you don't have a ton of time to sit and think about it and wallow in it. You have to turn the page. I Maybe mean, it's a good thing for him. Everybody else in the division lost. It's uh, the Browns are at the top of it. Right there's a bunch of one and ones and the and the Bengals are on too, and it's not over. Nothing's over. Nothing's decided. The year goes on. They're playing good offense. they can win plenty of football games still, but this the way it happened, and everything that had to come together for it to happen, and the unnecessary coverage busts that continue, your frustration is understandable and and everybody should be frustrated by it. To the point of anger because you invest your time, you invest your money, you invest your emotions in all of this, and you have a right to feel the way you feel. I tried to explain why scenarios maybe didn't shake out the exact way some people want them to shake out, but I just think placing blame on Nick or anger or, or energy toward Nick... Uh, it's wild. It's just it's wild to me, and I can't think that way. I mean, going from a ninety nine point nine percent chance of winning and maybe falling down, and going to a ninety nine point nine 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 percent chance of winning because you never know if you're going to fumble a snap on a uh, on a kneel down. Remember Baker Mayfield dropping some snaps just the week before under center, and it happens every single day in football worlds where these fumbled snaps. Have, like, I just, <laughs> I I can't invest my energy at Nick when I watch the defense all day long bust individual reps and coverage uh, and, and also break open coverage. And it's like, that is where your issue is and where the energy should be focused. Not a, a an obscure punt fake, not an obscure onside recovery. It's just, That's just a stuff happens thing, but those moments don't even happen. And some people coming after Jacoby Brissett, that game, everybody checked out. It was over, supposed to be over. Defense, just do your job. The game is over. Even if you allow one touchdown, even if you let the Jets go score a cheap touchdown to make it 30-24 with like 10 seconds left, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And the offense has checked out. Everyone's removed themselves from the game. And Jacoby made a great scramble for 20 yards and just threw it. He threw it into a window trying to make it a chance for Cade York to get a chance to kick a winner. It's it was it's like man placing your blame in some of these other spots is just madness to me. I'm wrapping this thing up. I don't want to talk about it anymore from a, from these angles right now. I, my my brain is fried. It's now two in the morning as I finish recording this. I hope you guys got something from it. I hope it was maybe therapeutic and hopefully you came to understand some of the situ- situations and some of the outcomes of of said scenarios that that you probably had you putting your head through a wall either at home or in First Energy Stadium or wherever you consume this thing, man. It's really hard. It's tough. It sucks. But no, not not everything is lost. Not everything is lost. But there are some decisions looming that are going to be hard for Kevin. And we're going to learn a lot about Kevin and how he handles some, some guys who are clearly friends of his, uh, you know, from his time in Minnesota or his other spots he's been, guys that he really likes. He's going to have to make some tough calls on some things soon because it's just not working. It's not... It's not working. So that wraps up this pod, guys. Have a great Monday. I appreciate you stopping by if you listen to all 53 minutes of this thing. We'll have plenty of coverage at the OBR, plenty of coverage in the Twitch channel as well. And I'll be back for your comprehensive All-22 tomorrow where I dig more into the granular details of this whole thing and try to give you more insights into what happened in coverage, so on and so forth. So I'll check back in. Have a great Monday if you can. Remember, sun came up the next day. It's all good. Life goes on. It's just sports. That's big picture stuff we try to remember, or at least I try to when stress mounts. But, you know, we're not perfect beings. Anyway, have a great Monday, guys. Go Browns.
2: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?